0: Hey everybody, this is Brent Kellogg, the pastor of Hillspring Church in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. Thanks for taking time to join us today. Our prayer is that this would inspire you, build your faith, and help you take the next step in Christ. Enjoy the message. Your first part of this year, Pastor Seth Swindoll, who's now the new pastor at Church on the Move West, and Pastor Seth's been a friend of mine for almost 15 years. He goes, hey, I got a pastor buddy you need to meet. And so through a phone call, and the first phone call literally was an hour of just this kindred spirit. And so as we talked, he's like, man, I want to I come down this summer. And we're actually headed for a couple of days on a pastor retreat, several of us, and spent some time together. But I said, man, I want you to come and just bless Hillspring this morning. So he has four incredible kids married to his wife, Becky. They actually pastor Believers Church up in Michigan we're honored this morning to have my friend, Philip McKinney. Come on, Hill Springs, stand to your feet, and let's welcome the man of the hour, Pastor Philip McKinney from Michigan, Woo! and he's a lot snappier dresser than I am.
1: Good morning, church. You may be seated. It is really great to be here. I want to honor your pastor, your hospitality. I've been treated so well. I, uh, I tell my southern friends that I am wired for the south. I'm just called to the north, Okay. I, I, lo- I love it here. I love coming here. Um, I do have a, a word I believe that God, God wants to minister today and so I want to I utilize the time as best as I can. Um, I had books available out in the, the, uh, the merch area but we, we sold out during the first service so I just want to encourage you if, if afterwards you're interested in more um, on this topic. You can go to our website or you can go to Amazon, but I do have one copy left. I would be glad to bless somebody with, if you give me your word that you'll read it. Uh, anyone interested in a free book this morning? Please. There was hesitation. They weren't sure. How do I hear this guy first, right? Um, so I want to I talk to you about this, this journey that the Lord has had me on that has been constantly being unpacked. And, and it has brought me to this point today. So I'm going to start with a illustrative story, and then I'll jump into the journey that I believe that um, will be a, an encouragement to you. So the story goes like this. A man is getting ready to leave his house, and he's grabbing his last-minute items. And the last thing he grabs is his car keys. And uh, as he's making his way across his family room, the lights go out. And, and he, now he's stumbling around. And as he's trying to uh, adjust his eyes, make his way out of the, the living room space, he drops his key. Oh, so now he's on the ground, he's fiddling around, he's trying to find where he's dropped his keys, and after several minutes of frustration and not finding them, something out of the corner of his eye catches his attention, and he notices that outside, there's a street lamp that's on, and he thinks, well, why don't I look where there's light? So he walks out and goes out and begins to look underneath the the illumination of the street lamp, and he's not having success yet, and his neighbor rolls up and says, what are you doing? well, I, I've lost my keys and I'm trying to find them. And like a good neighbor, the neighbor stops and he gets out and they're searching around looking for the keys and they're, they're not finding them. And so the, the neighbor finally asks, so where, where did you drop them? And he goes, oh, I dropped them inside. But why are we looking out here? Oh, well, because there's light out here. And as and funny or as silly, I guess, as that story goes, it leads me to this point. Many of the things, if not most things in our lives, we try to find outwardly when the Lord actually wants us to search inwardly, to find these, these, these challenges and, and breakthrough moments, and such an occasion happened to me around November of 2018. As Pastor said, I've got four kids, two of them are still at home, and if you have teenagers, you know full well that if you can do something that gets them energized and off their devices, uh, you, you do it. And... I had taken my two boys over to an indoor trampoline park and we had 90 minutes to spare. And so I walked out and I had to come up with a plan. Do I just drive home or do I find something to do? And I rarely have 90 minutes, an hour and a half to myself. And I thought, I'm not gonna waste that time driving. I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna enjoy the quiet. And I always have a book with me. So I just simply parked in the backside of this parking lot and I took the posture and I started reading and enjoying this quiet moment. Well, some time went by, and I'm not sure about how much, but something got my attention. It must be someone opening a car door or talking as they walked by. But I looked up, and in the time of, uh, that has, had passed, the parking lot had really begun to fill in. Like, and I thought to myself, there's a lot of people here. It's a Saturday, and there's this abnormal amount of cars. And so I'm just looking at the variety of cars and people walking from and to and in and out of the store. And I started to think about, I wonder if I know any of these any of these people. Then I start thinking, well, goodness, how easy would it be to exist in this community and never really meet any of them? Well, now there was a heaviness that entered my car because it's turning into this moment where I'm I'm reflecting and, and praying. And, and, and I thought, my goodness, I, I want my life to make a difference. And and, and now I'm starting to pray. And I'm not just praying for cars. I'm praying for the owners of these cars. And I'm thinking, Father, I just, I want my life to mean something. And and so I whispered this prayer. I said, Father, I I just, I want to make a difference in this life. And the Lord whispered back to me, and he said, you can. Just ditch your ego. Bulked. And then I said, Lord, that was a pretty heroic prayer. Like, I don't know, that was very egocentric. And he said, you can't have the impact that you want. You can have the impact I desire if you'll ditch your ego. So that took me on this journey up until this point of identifying the other side of ego that we Christians often miss. I think if I had the ability to talk with you individually today and ask you to describe what does it look like to be egocentric, we would probably come up with a similar list of things. It's the person that thinks that they're better than. It's the person that's filled with pride. It's the person that you're talking to that they're really not listening. They're just waiting for their opportunity to talk. It's that person that you catch catching their reflection in the window or mirror behind them as you're talking to them. You know, that person that thinks that they're the best looking, most important person in the room. And and frankly, if you can't think of that person in your mind right now, it might be you saying, So it's true that ego or arrogance is part of that, but what I discovered among myself or within myself and and really around the body of Christ is that's not the primary challenge that I see Christians having. I don't see it overwhelming that Christians are walking around with an idea that they're better than everybody else. What I see on the other side of ego is this, that it's also egocentric to be dominated by your own insecurities. It is not humble to believe what you feel about yourself over what God says about you. That's pride. And if you walk around thinking that you're a worm, but he says you're a son or he says you're a daughter, well, then you're not going to live to the place of influence that God's called you to be. Okay, I had to run this scenario about the first service, and let me, just, let me just pause from my notes for a moment. Uh, Does anyone here like to fish? This is that a trick question? Yeah? Okay. Back home, we, we like to fish with both artificial baits, and sometimes we use bobbers or boppers and worms. And, and if you're casting out and, and you, you're using a bobber and there's a hook with a worm on it, how do you know you're getting a bite? The bobber goes down, right? The same is true with amens for me. If I can get an amen once in a while, I'll know that I don't have to keep fishing that hole over and over, because this is second service, and we got all afternoon. If y'all want to beat the Baptist to the restaurant, right? we got to get after this thing, so... Amens and head nods make you look really spiritual to your neighbor anyway, right? I'm just trying to help you out, trying to help you out. So part of this this journey is is recognizing that the limitations that we face isn't so much about what God says about us, it's what we believe about us. And this idea of ego has been something that God has been taking me through, talking with churches, uh, obviously dealing with with, uh, the challenges of my own life. So I begin to look at scripture. In Romans chapter 12, verse number three, I believe scripture has a primary interpretation, but I think there's applications that apply in multiple ways. And I think this is one of those. Romans 12, verse number three, Paul writes, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Please note that the scripture does not say that you shouldn't think highly of yourself, just not more highly of yourself than you ought, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So yes, I think the Apostle Paul is telling us not to think that you're better than, not to elevate yourself in in, in, an inappropriate amount of value, and I also think he's instructing us not to place yourself in a higher level, even if it's thinking negatively of yourself, because you're still at the top of the list, which is a form of pride or ego, so I'm sitting in this car, and now this, this moment's happening. I'm having a move, uh, internal, uh, you know, moving of what way I'm thinking about things, and, 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 it, and God gives me the title for this book, and so I write down these chapter titles, and within a few short months, I'm publishing this book, and, and still walking this out, and this scripture right here is what put it in second gear for me. This, is what, this was where it really began to grab traction for me personally, and I, and I pray that it touches your heart the same. This is Jesus' words. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 25, he says, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. I wonder if, like me, you saw this verse as more of an end of life, like a mortality-type language. And, and that's how I viewed it. Like, if I'm willing to just die for Christ, then I'll really understand eternal life. That isn't until I discovered that the word life, that appears twice in this verse, is the Greek word suke. It's where we get our English word psyche. It's also historically been translated ego. So I hijack the phrase, and I'll say it this way: hijack Jesus' words, ditch your ego and find your dream. A whole new way of living. If we don't, and we continue to look at arrogance and ego in one dimension and not the other dimension that I'm talking about, what'll end up happening is we will live a Christian experience of insecurity. Insecurity is like hiding out in the shadows, in the corners of the room. Uh, living in a place of insecurity is like living an average Christian existence. A friend of mine recently reminded me that average is just as close to the bottom as it is to the top. When, when, when you settle for an average Christian life, it's like wearing camouflage. I revealed to you that I do like to fish. Well, in Michigan, hunting is a really big deal as well. In fact, it's probably a, it's as big a deal um, any hunters in the room? Show of hands, a couple of you. So hunting for Michiganders is a big deal. We, we issue more than 700,000 whitetail licenses each year. It's a big part of our economy, it's a big part of our recreation. And there are two types of hunters in Michigan. I wonder if, if you could also identify. There are those that hunt with a rifle or a shotgun, and then back home, the real hunters, they're the ones that hunt with a bow and arrow, and if you ask them, that's how they'll respond to you. I, I do real hunting. I hunt with a bow. And I've got a friend who is a die-hard bow hunter. I mean, he will strip down to his skivvies, walk through the cold, out to an outbuilding because he's not going to put on clothes that he's going to hunt in that would potentially pick up scent inside of his house. Okay, Then, then he will take what would normally be a five-minute walk, he'll take 45 minutes to carefully step over every branch, every leaf to sneak his way out into the woods while wearing a respirator so that he doesn't fill the air with his breath. And then he gets up into the tree and he waits. Now the difference again between those that hunt with rifles and shotguns or those that hunt with bows, if you're a guy who shoots a deer with a gun or rifle, the boasting story is how far away that deer was when you shot it. But if you're a bow hunter, it's totally the opposite. The boast is how close that deer got to you without you, the deer knowing that you were present. Now, what's the point? Why the hunting analogy? Why the hunting lesson? You might be asking. Simply this, if you want to live an average, camouflaged life, you might make a spectacular deer hunter. But if you want to change the world, you're going to have to come out of average, ditch your ego, and find a whole new way of living. Amen. That was a good place to give me at least a courtesy amen. Okay, praise the Lord. If we don't, church, we need to recognize this is in direct contradiction to how Jesus told us to live. Matthew's Gospel, chapter five, verse number 14, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Verse number 16 goes on to say, let your light so shine. Someone say, so shine. When the scriptures give some emphasis, I think we should pay attention. Let your light so shine before men. Why? That they, they, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The light that we shine is a reflection of Jesus on our lives. It is not to draw attention to me. It is not for you to have attention drawn to you. It is to glorify our Father. If you feel like you're an ordinary individual, of which I feel like I am the chief of ordinary, it's only proof that God can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. If we're willing to step out of the beliefs that we have, the limiting thoughts, insecurities, fear of man, fear of situations, and trust what God says about our lives, we can first change our world, and then we can change the world. Amen. I'm looking at a room full of people that are amazing. Do me a favor, look at your neighbor and say, you're amazing. Okay, this time, look at your other neighbor, option number two. Tell him with enthusiasm, you're amazing. There you go. This isn't just a a hype moment. I mean what I'm saying. You're truly amazing. Science reveals to us that you are one in 400 million sperm that made it to the egg. You've been winning from the beginning. You all got to know this. I'm nervous I was to say that the first service. I got away with saying sperm in church, and no one cringed. If, if, so um, I apologize, Pastor, if you get any nasty emails later. We're all grown ups, right? Okay. You're a winner. You've been winning from the beginning. Yet many of us, if not most of us, have been programmed for failure. It's been in your DNA from the very beginning. You've been winning everything within you. God's called you not just to be a conqueror, but more than a conqueror. And you're not an accident either. You may have been a surprise to mom and dad, but you were no surprise to God. You were born on purpose. This is important because the challenges that we face, we need to know that being born on purpose means that God knew that you were needed for this time, this generation, this era. There are unique challenges and your purpose or your gifting, whatever wording you wanna choose, is to meet the need of something or to meet the need of someone. And God knew that the gifting that he placed within you was going to meet the need of something or someone. I said this during the first service. You know, this era, some of the challenges that pastors have to confront or deal with is very uncomfortable. I I have prayed so many times God, I want to punt, I want to pass the ball to the next generation, let them deal with some of this stuff, because it's hard, and I, and I use this to remind myself that God knew when I was going to be born, he knew the purpose and the gifting to place within me, here's another thing, when you became a Christian and you decided to follow after God, I'll tell you what didn't happen, nobody grabbed you by the hand and took you to the God store, and you got to walk around and go, um, I think I'll take that gift, please, that's not how it works. We read that the Holy Spirit is the one who baptizes you into the body. He chooses the gifts that you have. So the gift that's within you, you don't need to be insecure about it. You didn't pick it. There's no reason to compare your gifting with somebody else. Celebrate their gift. You celebrate yours. Amen. So here, here's an analogy that I'd like to, if you place a picture of this tree. Historically, there's somebody in the audience that has studied forestry and they can look at this by the picture and tell us what the species is. But for all of us that don't know, you wouldn't know by looking at it until you see the next slide. Once you see the fruit on it, you can identify that it's an apple tree. Now, the apples on this tree clearly are plentiful. They're doing a great job. Interesting thing about the apple tree is, as blessed as that tree is, the apple tree itself does not require its own apples Live. The apples are for giving away. The apples, in other words, are its gift. Your gifting, your purpose, is to meet the need of something or someone. Maybe, maybe you've cringed about this idea of prosperity, and when we talk about it in the church world, you shouldn't. Jesus was really clear about this. I think in John fifteen eight, he says, "Our Father in heaven." is blessed when you are blessed. He's glorified when you are blessed, why? Because when you are blessed with an abundance, it means that you have more than enough. You can bless others. You're actually looking a lot like your daddy. You're a chip off the old block. You're meeting the needs of people, amen? As sons and daughters of God, the abundance of God is to meet the needs of people. And so when we're blessed and the fruit that comes out of our lives isn't for us to survive, it's to help others. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 16, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Please notice that the verse does not say that God brings you before great men, but the gift that God gives you brings you before great men. Your gift is, or or your purpose is what will attract people to you. Go back to the apple tree just for a moment. I don't know about you, but I don't go to the apple tree looking to inspect the bark. I'm not going to an apple tree looking for its leaves or its branches. What am I going to the apple tree for? Apples. The fruit of it is what we're looking for. This is good news because there will be people who will not like you, but they're looking for your fruit. There are people that will be intimidated. There will be people that will be uh, insulted about the favor of God on your life. Who is she or who is he to have this or operate in that. The sooner you recognize that you don't deserve it and yet you still make the team, the better off you are, amen? It's not up to you, it's not about you, it's about how good he is and the blessing of God, the favor of God, it's when you know in this audience we're kind of all sitting together. I have to really take my time to identify looking at you because there's a crowd. The moment you decide to leave the crowd, you stand out and when you stand out, you reveal the insecurities in other people. And criticisms are gonna come out of people's insecurities about you. The their insecurities just revealing. So listen, when critics come into your life, you should know that it should not be an indicator like a stop sign. Critics in your life should be like a billboard. You're gonna pass about a dozen of them on the way to your destination. A critic in your life is just a revelation or a revealing that you're actually moving forward. So there's potential within you, but I'm a little bit cringy about the word potential. Because there's there's too many Christians who pause on potential. Here's what I wrote down about potential. Potential is not what you're currently doing. Potential is what you're capable of. If we could have spiritual eyes and see into a different realm, I think sometimes, like in this setting, we wouldn't see people sitting in chairs. We'd see little pretty packages like gifts that aren't opened yet. Because God wants this gift to be opened and to be used. I don't know about you parents, but... When I buy a gift for my children and they use it and they love it, it blesses me. I don't go through the time and effort to buy a gift for my children, package it all up for them just to admire the box and not use it. I wonder how many sons and daughters of God are holding on to this gift because of a wrong idea or an insecurity or being dominated by our ego. Let me show you a picture of a really cool looking motorcycle. This is a 2005 GSXR 600. In 2005, this was the 25-year anniversary for Suzuki on this particular model, and so Suzuki was really interested in making sure that that year, they they beat all other uh, competition or manufacturers in that same segment. They needed to beat Yamaha and Kawasaki and Honda in all the measurable ways, and they did it. This motorcycle that year will go zero to 60 in three seconds or less. This motorcycle will go zero to 109 seconds or less, and without doing any type of modification, just taking it home, it will go 158 miles per hour. So I thought to myself, I have to have one. Yeah, so I bought this motorcycle in 2005, and I bought it right after it came out, so it was February in Michigan. I don't know if any of you ride motorcycles here in Oklahoma. February in Michigan is different than February in Oklahoma, okay? You don't ride motorcycles at all in February. But if you've got this great, fun-looking toy sitting in the garage, you're literally counting the days. Now, the the moment came, the, the, the news forecast for the weather said it was gonna top out in the high 50s, which meant I left home in the 30s, but I just wanted that bike to be out on the road. So I finally get my gear on, I head into the office, well, over the course of the winter, I'd hired a new employee, and he, he didn't know that I bought the motorcycle. I got to the office early. The bike kind of stands out, being bright yellow, sitting in the parking lot. Matthew parks next to it, notices it, walks in, and sees the matching helmet sitting on my desk. He says, Phil, it, is that motorcycle out there yours? Kind of straighten up a little bit. Yeah. It was, huh? Didn't they offer it in boy colors? <laughs> I said, you're fired. I said, I about fell out of my chair. It was hilarious. No.
0: You, you.
1: We're still very dear friends and he's gainfully employed to this day. But here's the point of this. Does the fact that he made fun of my, of my motorcycle change his potential? Yes or no? No. What if I, knowing that that motorcycle had a top speed of 158 miles an hour, but I never drove it over 55 miles an hour, did it change the top speed of that motorcycle, yes or no? What if I'm out riding with other people with a similar motorcycle, similar manufacturer, similar size, and one of them passes me or gets to a destination before me, does that limit what I or my motorcycle could do, yes or no? So why are we allowing what people say or think limit our potential? I know we've all got them. We've got people, maybe some of you are sitting next to somebody. Don't look, don't look, that are questioning your potential. The criticisms that have come or the programming that we've been told or the lies that have been spoken over our lives or the things that we believe are keeping us from having the impact sometimes that God wants for us and desires for us to have in the era, in the generation, in the community that he's called us to be. It's not too late. Anytime, every time I have this talk, there's some type of of dialect within people that go, wow, that's good, but it's too late for me. No, it is not. If you have a pulse, if you're enjoying oxygen and gravity today, it's not too late. God's not done with you. Purpose is never destroyed by circumstances. I'll go even further than that. Whatever you were born to do is still with you, and whatever you were born to become is still with you. Example, if you take a bird and you place it inside of a cage, you don't take away the bird's ability to fly. You just limit its ability. The cage then becomes the circumstance that limits. What's caging you? What's keeping you from flying? What's keeping you from soaring? And and who told you you were powerless to change it? Where does that come from? Why do we have a confidence so much more in the negative thoughts than we do with the positive problems? We need to remove the limits and by doing that all we need to do is create circumstances which you do have the power to do going back to a tree within within a seed every tree exists but if i took that seed and i walked out to your parking lot and i placed it on top of the asphalt it's not going to flourish wrong circumstances i need to take that that same seed take it out to the grass or out to the field, and when I plant it, I've changed the circumstances, now empowering it to grow and to develop. Changing the circumstances usually and most often starts with changing the internal story that you believe, what's going on in your thought life. It's it's really a form of meditation. Sometimes in church world, we get nervous about the word meditate because we associate it with an Eastern religion. I promise you, everybody in here has meditated. Have you ever worried? You ever had a bill that you're trying to figure out how you're gonna pay? I'm gonna assume that you still drove to work. You still made the kids dinner. I'm gonna assume that you still went throughout the day while you were worrying. That's a form of meditation. Meditation is simply doing inventory of what you believe that you have. And meditation is is a powerful thing that we see within scripture, a tool that can begin to change the story of what we believe. Meditating is like this, it's like marinating a cut of steak. Marinate is for the pleasure of the consumer, not the meat. Let that sink in, no pun intended. You can take a really cheap piece of meat and marinate it real good and make that thing taste good. It, 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 let's think of it this way. Whatever you marinate that steak in, it begins to take on that flavor. The longer I meditate, I marinate in the promises of God. The longer I meditate and marinate in the word of God, the longer I meditate and I marinate in the presence of God, when the world takes a bite out of me, they don't taste Phil McKinney anymore, they taste Jesus, because that's where I've been meditating and marinating. Amen, so we're starting to change from the inside out. Remember, marination isn't for the benefit of the steak, it's for the consumer. And God's purpose and his plans for your life is to meet the need of something or someone in this era. It doesn't take huge strides, but it takes a starting. I like what Zig Ziglar says. He says, inch by inch, a cinch, yard by yard, hard. So my journey began sitting in a parking lot, praying over parked cars, desiring to have a bigger impact in my life, really wanting my life to make a difference and matter, and the Lord began to start to this journey of ego and these limiting thoughts and limiting stories and insecurities and fears that I was dealing with, and then I discovered as I talked to people, it was also the same story for them. Yet in 2018 through 2019 and at the beginning of 2020, I began to notice something bad wrong inside me. Peace was not something that was found in my life. Interestingly enough, most people, even my church family didn't know it. Not that I couldn't have shared what I was going through, how I felt, but I didn't. The best way I can describe that that time frame in December or January is from 2019 to 2020. It was like someone had a chain or a belt around my chest, squeezing. It was hard to breathe. I, I was so, I felt like I was dying inside. I can't, I'm not, I can't understate this. I literally had a dream one night that I took my life. I was in a bad, and some friends invited me to a conference in Milwaukee. And one of the speakers at this conference, his name is Carlos Whitaker. I'd never heard of Carlos, but what got my attention was they put the title of his talk on the screens like this before he came up. And the title was, Kill the Spider. That was a pretty gnarly, macho kind of title to have at a men's conference, but I could not figure out how it was gonna work in a Christian conference. Carlos came up. He shares his testimony, his, his story of some bad decisions that nearly destroyed his life, his marriage, his family. He goes to his hero, who was his dad. Dad, coincidentally, was a pastor. He says, dad, why do I keep doing this? And he says, Carlos, let me tell you a story. Carlos is like, no, dad, no story time. Just, just tell me why I do this. Carlos's dad knew better and tells him the story. He says, Carlos, I was at a, a three-day revival. And the first night after the service was done, a woman came to the altar and she, she asked for prayer. She said, Pastor, I want you to pray that God would clear the cobwebs of my life, that the clutter would be removed, that I would see clearly the purpose and plans for God in my life. And Carlos's dad thought, my goodness, that's a great analogy. Yeah, I'm gonna pray for that. He puts his hands on it, he prays over her. In the name of Jesus, amen, he sends her away. Night number two, same scenario. He gets done preaching, same woman, comes up front. Pastor, we need to pray again. Pray that God would clear the cobwebs for my life, that the clutter would be gone, that I experienced experience God, that I would see clearly. And he says, dear lady, I believe that when we prayed, God touched you, and I believe that what he's doing, he's working out in you. And I'll just pray again with you that, that God continues to work and that you yield to him, but I believe he's doing what we prayed." Lay his hands on her, prays over again, sends her on her way. Night number three. Final night, service is wrapping up, woman comes to the front, pastor Pray that god would remove the cobwebs from my life and he this time looked at the woman very sternly and said i will not pray that god will remove the cobwebs tonight we're going to pray that god would kill this spider." And he said carlos you need to kill the spider the spider is the thing that causes the webs that causes the tangled up mess that causes the confusion and as soon as he said it i'm third i'm sitting in the third row and i'm like okay carlos I'm I'm tracking with you. I believe God set me here. I need to understand this because I feel like I'm dying inside. Even telling you the story, like it just reminds me of that place I fell. And Carlos is talking about how he's gonna pray and how he's gonna lead them. And I'm like, Carlos, stop talking. Start praying. And he says, Father, across this room, would you reveal to your sons the spiders that are keeping them locked up and bound? And instantly the Lord showed me what it was. I knew in that moment I was free, but I wasn't free indeed yet. Here's the distinction. Being free is like being in a prison cell and someone opens a door, I'm technically free. But I'm not free indeed, free in actuality until I walk out of that cell and I begin to experience And I'm gonna tell you that it changed my life. I'm not just different, I'm brand new. I've never felt so free. And listen, I was a Christian 20 years in the ministry and I felt like I was dying because there was a mixed up part within my soul that was keeping me from experiencing the peace of God. And I think this is the exclamation point to this message. And I believe that part of being here today with you is to pray a very similar prayer that Carlos prayed with me in February of 2020. And if I could, I'd like to invite you to stay and read. You just close your eyes. Nobody's going to ask anything of you. I'm just going to ask of the Holy Spirit to do for you what he did for me. With every eye closed, Holy Spirit, we need you to do the work that only you can do. You know the details of every person that walked into this room. Every person that will hear the sound of my voice will watch this message online. Would you reveal to your sons and daughters what the spider is in their life? The very thing that's causing all of the wreck, the mass clutter, the dysfunction, lack of peace. Now, more than just being free, from this day forward, Holy Spirit, would you lead them to a place of freedom and actuality, completely name of Jesus.
0: I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's a couple of things I want to invite you to do. First, hit the subscribe button. That way you won't miss a single episode. Secondly, if this message has impacted you and you would like to help us reach others, visit our website at hillspring.tv and hit the give now button so that we can take this message around the globe. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.